what goes up must come down. Welcome to the Brand Breakdown. I'm Michelle. And I'm Courtney. And this is where we're going to track the rise and fall of big brands, from companies to celebs to pop culture phenoms and everything in between. Let's get started. And um, today we're going to be talking a little bit about the Meghan and Harry wedding, the sort of the pinnacle of what was happening as they were building their brand, and then what happened when they uh, broke it right in half. So Courtney, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to kind of fill us in from where we were the last time. I think we were talking a little bit about um, their engagement and then we're moving up to the wedding. And then I think we're doing planning. And I think we, we stopped right around the point where uh, Megan and Kate had a little spat about the ill-fitting little girls dresses. Yes. So um, first of all, everybody, I would like to apologize because I have a little cold. So if I sound congested, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Her son so, graciously shared. Yeah. He uh, coughed right, right directly into my eyeball. So <laughs> love those preschool germs. Um, and like the visual. Thanks so much. I know. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Kids are gross. <laughs> That's just life. Life is a mom. Kid, kids are gross. You got that. You got that um, right. So, yeah. So like you said, last episode, we had kind of started coming right up to the point where Megan and Harry are about to be married. Um, They are fielding potential brand deals that they're being told have to be turned down. Megan has at this point hired outside PR. She's working with Sunshine Sachs, which is a massive PR agency here in the US. And Megan is also starting to butt heads a little bit. Actually, we should say a lot of it. Um, she's starting to butt heads with folks in the royal family, specifically her sister-in-law Catherine and her or her soon-to-be sister-in-law Catherine and her brother-in-law William. Um, and she's also butting heads with her own family. This is the time, you know, just a few days before the big the big day when her father is caught by the paparazzi staging photos or rather it comes to light that he's like working with a particular photo agency to stage some photos him and Megan and Harry get into a massive fight he has a heart attack he lands in the hospital he ends up not going over to the UK for the wedding he does not walk her down the aisle because he is literally in the hospital recovering um and this is where we start to kind of see the veil figuratively, (laughs) we start to see the veil lift off of Megan a little bit, where suddenly this person who has always been portrayed as a daddy's girl and a humanitarian and just a really all-around benevolent human being, we start to see some cracks in that veneer because suddenly we're hearing about drama that she's having with so many people who should be, you know, considered incredibly close to her and should be some of her biggest allies and suddenly she's fighting with most of them um so things start getting pretty interesting around this time so i want to ask a quick question because i remember that as well but the way i remember it is that her dad you know tried to sell her story he had a heart attack and then what i the overwhelming thing that i remember is that um the now king stepped up and said, I'll walk you down the aisle. And it seemed like all was saved. And, um, and it was such a wonderful thing that he was doing that and, you know, et cetera. And it felt very um, much to me, like not staged exactly, but definitely orchestrated in some way after her dad uh, had his heart attack or whatever. So all of that happened. Um, (laughs) her father had the heart attack. He was unable to come out to the UK. Megan and Harry's version of that story is that they were, you know, texting him while he was in the hospital and telling him, you know, whatever you need to do, we can help you. We have a plane ticket reserved for you. Please like do whatever you can to get here. Um, Megan's father has a different version of that story where in his version, Harry called him and started yelling at him as he's recovering from a heart attack in the hospital and is, you know, giving him the third degree about how could you do this to us? How could you be so stupid, etc. Um what had happened and this is interesting because we don't necessarily have Megan and Harry's version of this. We only have Thomas's version of this, which it's his story to tell, so I guess that makes sense, but he says that Throughout this whole time of Meghan and Harry 
dating and then being engaged and then in the run-up to the wedding, obviously the press had been hounding him. Paparazzi had been staked out outside his home. He's a very, well, he was, I guess, a very private person. Um, And everybody wanted to hear what he had to say. Everyone wanted to hear what Meghan Markle's father had to say about his little girl about to become a princess. And he says that at some point, a photo agency had said, listen, why don't you work with us? We'll, We'll give you a couple hundred dollars We'll take some photos that'll put you in a really good light. Because there had been some publications who were writing about, you know, Megan's father has declared bankruptcy before. Megan's father had to move to Mexico because he couldn't afford to live in the U.S. So there were some tabloids who were coming after him, trying to get a story and not really portraying him positively. Not necessarily saying anything horrible or even anything that wasn't necessarily true, but just, you know, he wasn't looking great. He, When you're comparing him to Harry's family, who's, you know, regal and all of that, he just kind of was coming off a little bit less than. <laughs> so a photo agency approached him and said, hey, work with us. We'll stage some photos that put you in a good light. We'll take some photos of you getting fitted for your suit for the wedding. We'll take some photos of you working out. We'll take some photos of you, you know, reading up. One of the pictures was of him like reading a book about England or something like that, like a coffee table book. Um, And they were like, we'll just, we'll just help you make yourself look good in the press in the days leading up to the wedding. So that while everyone's trying to clamor for a story about you, you come out looking a little bit better than you have been and, you know, no harm, no foul. He never was um, planning to say anything about Megan, however. It was all about the photos. So quick question. So he said, okay, $200 or however much they were paying him. Mm-hmm. Had had Megan and Harry not made a big deal of it, do you think it would have been a big deal or do you think he could have flown to England, walked her down the aisle. He had some photos, big deal. But it just seemed like everything was leaked, like he was selling her out, that, you know, he was capitalizing on her good fortune, blah, blah, blah. Well, he could have been capitalizing on her good fortune for years because she was a successful actress on Suits. Exactly. So, you know, I I just feel like, was that story about him, could they have quashed it in a way where he didn't have a heart attack and, you know, he was able to come to the UK and whatever. I mean, I know her sister got involved, her half-sister got involved and was mm-hmm. like, oh, you're being so mean to our dad, blah, blah, blah. Could all of that have been quashed with just like a conversation to say like, hey, this is my wedding, regardless of the rest of the world watching my wedding. This is my wedding. This is what I want. Can you please just not do A, B, and C for the next five days until I get married? Um, I just feel like that that that's what you do in families. Like, regardless of what's going on, if you are trying to help your child or your sister or your sibling or whatever, have a successful wedding, you just keep your mouth shut. Everybody like smiles and you just move forward. Yeah. I think that a lot of what happened at that time is so convoluted. Part of the situation is that Thomas has said himself, like he was just mortified. He was embarrassed. He felt terrible that he had made such a silly decision and it had blown up into such a big deal. Harry and Meghan, for their part, were furious. And at this point, again, um, and I think I mentioned this in an earlier episode, Harry has never met Meghan's father. Um, So at this point, he had had some phone calls with him and a couple text messages. He's never met him. And then Harry picks up the phone to reportedly scream at this man who's recovering from a heart attack in the hospital. Um, And Meghan and Harry were feeling really betrayed and they were feeling like, you know, how could the person, how could somebody who's supposed to be one of the closest people to us betray us in this way? From her father's perspective, he's thinking, I made a silly mistake. I didn't give any interviews. These were just photos and they were only photos to make myself look better. You know, essentially a glamour shot, right? Like some people get a headshot taken for a resume. This guy went and had a photo of him getting a suit fitted. Yes, he was profiting from it. It was not a ton of money. Um, And he has admitted it was a silly thing to do. He regrets doing it, but he never meant to do anything other than try to boost his own public image because he was kind of being dragged a little bit through the press. And Harry and Meghan, from where I stand, which is 
you know, literally nowhere important in this <laughs> conversation. But in my perspective, they made a mountain out of a molehill. They could have just ignored it. It could have just been like, you know, whatever, please come to the UK. We'll deal with this later. Don't worry about it. But instead, they got incredibly angry with him. He had the heart attack. And then Harry and Meghan have said that they don't necessarily believe, or I guess at the time, they didn't necessarily believe he had had a heart attack. They thought he was just copping out, that he was so embarrassed, he just didn't want to be seen. So there was a lot of speculation at the time, like, was he actually in the hospital or not? And Thomas Markle actually provided this was recently, probably within the last six months, he actually provided one of the UK newspapers, or maybe it was one of the morning shows, with the receipts from his hospital stay. Like He provided them with his hospital bills to be like, yes, I was actually in the hospital on those days when I said I was. I actually had a procedure done on my heart because I actually had a heart attack. And for anybody to say, that's not what was happening and I was just trying to cop out is untrue and really hurtful. Keeping in mind that the person saying that is his daughter. <laughs> well, and a lot of times I think heart attacks can be brought on by severe stress um, or even like panic attacks that feel like heart attacks or, you know, minor heart AFib or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of things that can bring on heart issues. So it could be that he was so stressed out from everything that had happened that it brought on heart issues. It wasn't anybody's fault per se, but he doesn't look like a man who's in fantastic shape, which, hey, I'm not either. I'm not judging. I'm just saying. Um, but, you know, it could have easily been brought on by the stress of the situation. So anyway, so she asks um, um, Prince Charles to walk her down the aisle or he offers or however mm -hmm. that goes. Yes. And, th and then we were, that was only what, two days before the wedding? Yes. Just like a I, minute before the wedding. Yeah. It was really, really close to when it was basically the day that her father should have been, or the day before he should have been arriving is the day that the photos were leaked, I believe. So everything that happened happened within like 72 hours of the big day. Um, and at this time, Prince Charles, at the time, now the king, um, but he stepped in and he offered to walk Meghan down the aisle. And if you recall, if you watched the wedding, she did something really interesting was that she walked halfway down the aisle by herself. They arranged it in a way that was like she was walking in as her own woman, right? Like she's this independent woman, not on the arm of her father, not she didn't ask a friend to walk her down. And then halfway down the aisle, her father-in-law comes and walks her to the altar. So it was very symbolic in the way that it kind of was arranged. And I've just always thought it was interesting that she chose to walk halfway in as a completely independent woman. And it has always made me wonder, had her father made it over to the UK, would she have still had him walk her down the aisle anyway? Or would that plan have changed at the last minute, regardless of his health? <laughs> Well, you know, you have to think about what the entrance that she made when she did walk halfway down, like she was pretty stunning. Like I wouldn't have wanted anybody on my arm either if I'd looked that good. Um, so just let everybody revel in how I look mm -hmm. <laughs> for the first three minutes walking down the aisle until I get to the, to the prince. Um, yeah. She looked gorgeous. Um, yeah. A lot of people have taken issue with her dress. They, People, oh, some yeah. people didn't like it. They said some people think it was too plain. Some people think it didn't fit properly. I would agree. Sometimes I think Megan's clothes could be tailored a little bit better. But I mean, she looked absolutely gorgeous. Her tiara was stunning, breathtaking. Probably one of my favorite royal tiaras of the lot. And there are a lot. Um, and it's a shame that we will probably never, never see her see wear them. it again. <laughs> or never uh, see those. The collection of tiaras because they're oh, probably yeah. like in a back room somewhere. Yeah, there's – In a big safe. There are dozens of tiaras that the British royal family has that, you know, the late queen used to trot the same ones out all the time. She had her favorites and she wore the same few on rotation. Obviously, we see Catherine wearing the same one over and over again. Um, and once a tiara – in the British royal family, for the most part, once a tiara is loaned to someone, you don't typically see them sharing between each other. So once one person has worn it, it's kind of theirs for a while until they'd say like they're done wearing it. And so because that tiara was loaned to Megan for her wedding day, it is unlikely we will get to see that one again anytime soon, which is such a bummer because it was 
so, so beautiful. Yeah, um, but it kind of has bad juju now anyway. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, f- I feel like who would want to wear it? I mean, maybe Lilibet, if she ever does anything back in the royal family. I mean, who knows? Um, but I, I can't see um, Charlotte being, hey, remember Megan's tiara? I'm going to use that one. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I just- though, if that happened, I would love it. It would just be the most petty thing <laughs> for Charlotte to be like, hey, Auntie Megan, guess what? I'm going to wear your wedding tiara because you don't get to anymore. <laughs> I think that would kind of be amazing. Um, I don't think she would do that. And honestly, I don't think that um, Charlotte's being raised to be a petty person, unfortunately for us and our amusement later on. I think she's yeah. not being raised that way. Yeah, I think Dang she's it. probably being raised to, you know, she – my hope is that those kids have no idea what's going on. I mean, George is certainly at an age where – he may hear things, you know, he can read, he can see a headline somewhere. But my hope is that those kids, as far as they know, like, oh, their aunt and uncle just moved to the United States because they wanted to do something different with their jobs. You know, I hope they're not exposed. And I don't think that William and Catherine would necessarily expose them to all the drama of it. But one day, all the kids, Lilibet and Archie included, are going to be old enough to see all of this if they ever choose to like google mom and dad so <laughs> we'll um, yeah it's true we'll see how that goes uh, yeah so anyway so we get to the royal wedding it's absolutely beautiful a list everywhere mm-hmm. i mean i mean it was so gorgeous and i loved her dress after the wedding it was absolutely stunning they looked so cute together and they got in that precious little convertible and drove off and <laughs> all that was so, so unbelievable. Um, I loved every minute of it. I thought, oh my gosh, they're just the cutest couple ever. And yeah. then, and then we head to a couple days later, like I believe literally two or three days later, we head to Megan's first engagement as a member of the royal family. So this is her first official engagement as the Duchess of Sussex. Up until this point, she was simply Meghan Markle. Harry was just Prince Harry. And then upon their wedding, well, right before their wedding, like that morning, um, Harry was made His Royal Highness the Duke of Sussex. And so upon their marriage being finalized, Meghan became the Duchess of Sussex. Um, She is technically Princess Harry as well if she chose to go by that title. But that's not how it works. They go by their higher titles. So Duke and Duchess it is. Anyway, um, so she attends her first official engagement. And this is an um, this is at Buckingham Palace. It's one of the garden parties. There's five or six garden parties held every year. Hundreds of people are in attendance. Actually, I think thousands of people are in attendance. Um, and it's people from basically all walks of life across the UK. A lot of people from various charities, either the people who run the charities and also the people that those charities support are invited. So there's hundreds and hundreds of people and they basically all just come to be appreciated for their good works and to catch a glimpse of the Royal family and to mingle with them a little bit. So there's usually a bunch of Royals in attendance. When it was announced that Megan would be attending this one, this became a hot ticket to have. And Megan steps out wearing, it was a pale pink kind of off the shoulder situation and she looked okay. It wasn't honestly that was one, not one of my favorite looks for her um, because it looked very stuffy, stuffy kind of like didn't really seem to suit her personality. Um, but um, which P.S. I don't even think we really know her personality. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah, I, mean, I think we have. I think we think we know what she's really like. But I think based on everything that you've taught me in these last few episodes and what I've read on my own, I'm not sure I know what her personality is. Yeah, I agree. So maybe what I mean to say is it didn't really seem to suit her style, not so much her personality, yeah. but it it kind of didn't vibe with what we had come to see of her pre-royal wardrobe. Um, and maybe it was chosen for her. Yeah, so Megan has, you know, publicly said that she said this during the Oprah interview um, <laughs> that when she was a working royal, she wasn't really really allowed to wear what she wanted to wear. She couldn't wear bright colors. She had to adhere to a certain 
protocol in terms of wardrobe, which is something that everyone has kind of known about for a while. You know, you don't see royal women out there in crop tops and leggings. Um, they dress on the more conservative side and they do to an extent coordinate their wardrobe. So the late queen would tell everybody, okay, we're going to this thing and my dress is blue. And then everybody could choose to wear a complimentary shade of blue or wear a different color, but you know, they're aware that they're all being photographed together. They need to look nice. Um, and Megan has said she wasn't allowed to wear bright colors. And then since that day, she has literally never worn a color besides navy blue, black, white, or beige since then. Uh, <laughs> I think she wore like an eggplant-ish color one time. Um, but it doesn't seem she wanted to wear bright colors anyway. I just looked at her <laughs> pale pink outfit and mm -hmm. I like it. I think it's pretty. I love illusion sleeves. So I'm going to have to like um, beg to disagree with you. I think it's pretty. I, for me, it's more of, it. it's pretty and it also looks pretty on her, but the clothes that she would have typically worn where her style is just a little bit more laid back kind of, it just doesn't match what she usually would have worn um, pre-royal. And I think it was, you know, she was being more conservative than perhaps she typically would have been because she had to. Um, I don't know. It didn't, I just didn't love it. I just didn't love it. <laughs> so I'm going to jump in here and say, to me, this is where the Harry Meghan brand was at its pinnacle, in my opinion. Right after they got married and until they went through their pregnancy with Archie, like this next sort of year and a half to me was like where they were like making it happen. Yes. I would say that this next period of time up until I would say up until Archie is born so almost a year later um, but they had a full year of just being on top of the world everybody wanted them they were they went on a really successful tour of um, Australia and New Zealand they were you know, Megan's one of the most photographed people in the world at this point. Every engagement has hundreds and hundreds of people turning out for them. Um, they announce that they're having a baby and the world goes crazy about that. Um, and I would say that publicly, yes, this was their pinnacle. And also I think mm -hmm. through the wedding planning period, like from their engagement until right around when Archie was born that was their pinnacle, though that like year yeah. and a half long period of time, for sure. And let, let's look at it just a little bit from a brand perspective. So we've got Harry and Meghan, they're very united. They mm -hmm. seem very united within the family. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, starting with the whole, even Charles walking her down the aisle gives us this kind of feeling of everyone is surrounding them with love and care and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, they get pregnant which is mm -hmm. wonderful. Everyone's thrilled about that. So from a brand perspective, their brand is on point right now. They're two royals. They're working. They're doing charitable things. They're beautiful. Everyone loves them. You're not seeing as many bad stories about them. I think like maybe some, but not really yet. Mm -hmm. um, although I know she contends on the in the Oprah interview that there's a ton of stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. But from the world's perspective, I think the brand right now is solid. Everyone loves it and probably could have gone on for a really, really long time. Yeah. I think that at this point, anytime there was a little bit of drama, they at this point were still abiding by the never complain, never explain philosophy as much as Harry and Meghan did not like to do that. They were still playing by that rule at that point. And so if a little inkling of drama came up, but Buckingham Palace or Kensington Palace would release a statement just saying, like, we don't comment on private matters. Sometimes they would say, you know, that's not true. There's no problems between the Duchess of Cambridge and the Duchess of Sussex, you know, when it started kind of coming up that, oh, there had been a fight during wedding planning. Um, but for the most part, it was silence or just knocking down a rumor completely. Um, so publicly, they were on the top of the world at this point. Privately at this point, which when you think about how short of a period of time this is, it's a year and a half from their engagement 
until when Archie is born, just about a year and a half. Um, the the stuff is really hitting the fan here. Um, it is a just complete disaster behind the scenes. And obviously the public had no idea about it. Megan and Harry would go on to say that Kensington Palace was not doing anything to help them. Megan is suffering so much. Things are terrible. She's trapped. She's at one point at one point she said they took her car keys, they took her passport. She wasn't allowed to leave the house. And we know that's not true because during that time she took four international vacations. Um so it was like she she seems to forget sometimes that we can fact check a lot of the stuff she says because when she references something that is public, you know, saying like, oh, I had no passport. I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. We can very easily be like, no, we literally, you had a huge baby shower in New York. So you took that international flight. You visited Elton John in the South of France. That's an international flight. You went to a wedding in Italy where you were photographed along with other socialites and celebrities and royals. So we know that happened. Um, and she seems to forget sometimes that we can fact check the things that she says and that people will fact check those things. But behind the scenes, things are unraveling rapidly to the point where by the time Archie is born, things have already fallen apart. Like there's already been the first portion of what would ultimately become Megxit has already actually happened by the time Archie is born um, on May 6th, 2019. So really, really nuts, I think. (laughs) That, that's a quick decline. You know, yeah. I think, you know, I've been talking about this a lot with friends and I think she was so far in over her head that she just didn't know which way was up. I think she thought she could control so much of these situations, which were not within her purview to control. Um, and I think that for someone like Megan, who seems independent and is American, I'm sure that was not great for her. Yeah, I think that I believe I said it in the last episode as well. A lot of the decline of Harry and Meghan, I fully put the blame and I'm sorry, not on Harry and Meghan in terms of their relationship or anything, but in terms of their fallout with the royal family. I firmly put that on Harry's shoulders. He knew the situation. He knew the expectations. He knew how things worked and what the machinations behind the scene were like and the processes and protocols that were in place in order to get things done. And either he did not educate her on the matter, which I'm not saying she's wasn't an intelligent enough person to have figured it out her on her own, but there are some things that just there was no way for her to have known necessarily unless somebody told her. Um, so either he did not tell her everything that she needed to know and understand, or he told her, don't worry about all of that. We're going to be able to do it our way. Don't worry. We'll we'll get it done. They'll say yes. They'll tell us it's fine. We can change how things are. And I really think that that was on Harry. If he genuinely wanted to make a go of this, that was on Harry to, you know, make sure she fully understood what was happening. There is, in my opinion, there is some evidence that, I don't necessarily know that they ever wanted to make it work. Um, There are some things that happened where there's some indications that they had kind of already had one foot out the door prior to their engagement becoming officially announced. They had been, when Megan was having to turn down an Oprah interview, for example, I think that she was very upset by that. And I think that's when the wheels started turning in their heads of like, okay, people are offering us these opportunities and they're offering them to us, not to the family. They want Harry and Meghan, the people. So if we are not part of this organization that is telling us to say no, what could we turn this into on our own? How far could we take Brand Sussex on our own without being a part of the family or without being full working members of the royal family? How much can we separate and do things the way we want to do them? And I think I really honestly believe that that started happening prior to 
their engagement being announced. It sounds like they wanted to be celebrity royals, not royals. You know what I mean? Like they want to have the celebrity life with the royal backing instead of being royals who, especially in the, the British royal family, are in many ways very private despite their very public continued engagements. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that you're right. The royal family is incredibly private. For as much as we see of them and as much as we know about them, when you really start digging below surface level, we don't really know much about them at all, right? Like we see William and Catherine and we see the kids and we get the photos of the first day of school or a big birthday or an anniversary photo. And we hear them give us some little cursory remarks when they're out at an engagement. Oh yeah, you know, Charlotte loves ballet and George is a huge rugby fan and Louis loves soccer, but we don't know anything deeper than that. They give us enough to make us feel like we're included, but we have no idea what they do in their free time. We don't know what type of books they like to read. We don't really know the type of music they listen to, although Catherine did just attend a music festival. Um, <laughs> so we do know that. And we we catch a glimpse of them occasionally out and about on their free time. But for the most part, you know, we don't we don't know those things about them that would make you say, oh, I know that person. We know about as much about them as you know about somebody that you see walking down the aisle at a grocery store. If you see someone walking down the aisle and they've got food in their cart and a kid next to them that's dressed in a soccer uniform because they just come, came from a game on a Saturday morning, you say, oh, that kid plays soccer. And that's about it. That's how much we know about the Royals on a deeper level. And Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Yeah. And I think that's very intentional because the only way for them to exist in the way that they do is they have to separate the monarchy from celebrity. They are not celebrities. They are not a passing fad. They are not tabloid fodder. They are the institution that essentially grounds the country, right? Here in the United States, we we don't we have obviously a president and we have politicians, but we pledge allegiance to a flag, not a person. You know, the constitution is what we really like fall back on. That's what the military, you know, pledges to defend. Exactly. Um, in the UK, the monarchy is that figurehead. They have politicians. Of course they do. They've got a prime minister. They've got their members of parliament. But the monarchy is the institution and it is the figurehead of what it means to be British. And, you know, that is their tried and true. The queen was, the late queen was head of state for 70 years. An entire generation of people know nothing, or actually like three generations of people know nothing besides Queen Elizabeth II. And she carried that country through so many very turbulent times. And that becomes the really steadfast glue holding the country together because that is what people rally around. They rally around the monarchy. So the monarchy needs to be very careful about not becoming celebrity. And Meghan and so Harry think, didn't do that. Yeah. I think Mary, Mary and Harry, Meghan <laughs> and Harry have conflated what it is to be royal and what it is to be a celebrity. Um, and I think that for, you know, for her part, Megan, I don't feel like ever really completely understood uh, a being British or b being part of that institution, and mm -hmm. I think that Harry was immature in how he presented it to her and the things that he said that they could do and say and get away with because mm -hmm. it just wasn't going to happen that way. And I think he was so bowled over by this woman and he wanted to marry her and have this life and do all this that he did not. Um, really help her understand the full weight of what she was entering. Mm -hmm. uh, there must have been some naive, naivete on both sides, frankly, regardless of their, uh, their wanting to build a brand and capitalize on that, which I fully think they did um, or wanted to uh, and, and did and then didn't. <laughs> I think they also had some naivete in, in what was going to be allowed, which I think 
we're now seeing because now we're up to Archie is born um, and things are not great. It doesn't seem like her postpartum went well, which by the way, if you put me postpartum on the you know front page of every newspaper in the world, I'm not sure what I would have done. Um, so I think, you know, for her part, it's difficult to be three days out of a baby and making a public appearance. I certainly did not. And I know you did not as well. Um, I did not know. <laughs> I right. hid in my house for weeks and weeks and yeah. weeks. <laughs> oh, months, months, maybe a few years. Um, so anyway, so Archie's born and then they, um, they go to, they do the South Africa tour, right? Well, um, so a couple really important things happened prior to Archie being born. And the first thing that happened was their office at Kensington Palace split off from William and Catherine's office. So prior to March of 2019, they had been all working at Kensington Palace. I say working at Kensington Palace, but you know their staff was all based there at Kensington Palace. And they had the same staff. So the four of them were basically supported by this huge group of people um, with, if you think of the Kensington Palace households as a business, William is the president of that business. Catherine is the vice president. Harry is maybe a, I don't know, director. <laughs> and Megan, the new kid, is also a director, but she doesn't have as much tenure as the other guy. Um, and so there's a hierarchy in the off in the household offices. And of course, within the staff who's working there, there's a hierarchy there too, because William's staff is they take precedence or they have more authority in some areas than Megan's staff may have. Um, and so this is one of those times where we later find out there is a ton of turmoil behind the scenes. Megan is later accused of bullying her staff um, and some of William and Catherine's staff as well to the point where people are quitting left and right. We've never seen this level of turnover in any of the royal households. If you get to work at the palace, it's a pretty cush job. People don't usually leave. They stay for years, decades even. And in the time that Megan is a member of the royal family, um, between May 2018 and March 2019, I believe six people quit, which is unheard of. Some of them were rotated into other positions within other households, which is also um, indicative of more of a personality issue because it's not as if these people went to work, you know, completely outside of the royal realm. They just couldn't work there anymore. It later comes out in Valentine Lowe's book, or actually before his book, Valentine Lowe writes an article that Megan has been accused of bullying. And Megan's lawyers hit back. They say, this is not accurate. People quit their jobs because people move on, whatever. And a huge investigation is launched. And the palace steps in. And when I say the palace, I mean Buckingham Palace. At the time, it was the Queen's office directly steps in to do an investigation and take a look at what has been going on behind the scenes. At this time, also, Meghan and Harry are told, essentially, by William, this needs to stop. Like, you you have to be treating your staff better. We don't treat our staff with disrespect. And this is where there may be, sad to say, there may be a cultural difference between the UK and the US and, you know, how people in the US may be, you know, Megan was very proud of the fact that she would wake up at five in the morning and start sending emails as soon as she woke up. And she had, as she says, like a very high expectation of people's performance. And in the UK and all of Europe, really, if your boss is emailing you at 5am, you are not expected to be responding to that. You are sleeping because it's still the middle of the night and your work hours are very strictly set and people do not have the same work culture that we have in the United States. And so their office is split because it is no longer tenable for the four of them to be working together and it is no longer tenable for their staff to be working together. And so Megan and Harry end up hiring essentially a whole new staff and their offices are now based at Buckingham Palace and the KP offices stay just, uh, just William and Catherine's and also the Royal Foundation splits. So it is no longer... This charitable foundation that William and Harry started in their early 20s prior to either of them getting married, um, it is no longer 
the Royal Foundation of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Again, I don't know who decided that was an okay name for anything. It's way too long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like it's just ridiculous, but it is no longer their joint organization. It reverts back to just being the Royal Foundation of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and Harry and Meghan launch Sussex Royal. And that is where they firmly plant their flag and say, we are our own brand. Even though at this point they are still fully ensconced working members of the royal family. I think that the British and the Americans are very, very, very different people, despite our common language. Um, And I think that sometimes the way Americans work, uh, Europeans in general, British especially, don't enjoy it. And it's not Mm -hmm. even like, you know, the five o'clock in the mornings or the whatever. There's a, there is a lack of civility on um, the many Americans parts on how they deal with other people. And it comes, some of it comes down to personality. Some comes down to management style. Some is um, it's more hubris. Like I'm going to do what I want to do and you can go along with me or you can get out the door. But I think as a as someone who's managed people, I think that if you aren't being very sensitive to the people around you that either you're managing or who work for you, it can be seen as bullying, even if it's not bullying in the traditional sense of the word. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that um, it's sometimes difficult for people in different cultures to understand how the other culture works and be sensitive to that. Not saying she wasn't a bully. I'm just saying that there could be a (laughs) huge disconnect between what it's like to work as an American and what it's like to work as a British person. For sure. And there's been a lot of discussion about, was this a cultural thing where Megan just kind of wasn't necessarily fitting into the culture of the UK workplace? And also, mind you, the culture of the corporate UK workplace, right? Because again, at the end of the day, the royal households operate as businesses and they're very similar. I mean, their core objectives are different, but they're very similar to the way a company works. There are managers and directors and they've got initiatives that have to be completed and billable hours that have to be met and finances that have to be tracked. Um, And Megan comes from not a corporate background at all. She's never worked in the corporate world. And now she is thrown into one of the biggest corporations in the country. And it is a foreign country besides. So she's not used to that culture on a number of levels. So there's been a lot of discussion about was this a cultural thing or was this a personality thing? And there is some evidence to suggest that it could be both. And and depending on the day and depending on the person, that directs like which way it goes, whether it was simply, you know, two working styles that didn't mesh or whether it was somebody who was just being mean and knowingly treating someone unkindly intentionally. Um, And again, all of this happens before Archie is even born, before they have even been married a full year. (laughs) Um, They have split off from Kensington Palace and from the Royal Foundation. So pretty big changes to establish brand Sussex um, and changes that, in my opinion, you know, this didn't all just happen in 10 months. It had to have been in motion or at least discussed at some level prior to their wedding and prior to the engagement. And going back to a point you made earlier, I think For as much as I do believe that Harry was responsible for educating Megan on this and explaining the ins and outs of it, I do also think that for her part, Megan, you know, coming in with the American perspective as it is and the hustle culture that we have here (laughs) and also like she (laughs) – and also like Megan is – Megan is somebody who – she's she's a hard worker. Like I, I won't take that away from her. She is a hard worker. And I think it was very easy for her to look at Harry and say, no, you don't understand. The way they're doing things isn't right. Just because it's the way they've been doing it for a thousand years doesn't mean it's the right way to do it. And so Harry may not have told her what to expect, but I think for her part, she turned around and said, I don't care that this is how they do it. I'm telling you 
this isn't how it should be. And whether she's right or not, I mean, I don't think that's right at all. But I I can see where she was able to turn Harry's head and get him to see her perspective of like, we shouldn't be doing it the way they want us to do it because that's not how things are done where I'm from. And in my world, this would never fly. Yeah, I think that was a giant mistake on both their parts. I mean, and and not only full of naivete, but also hubris that she could turn the Titanic around in in a in a day. You know, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And by a day, I mean several years if as related to a thousand. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Right. Um, so yeah, so we have We've got the offices splitting. We've got Meghan and Harry butting heads with the institution and Buckingham Palace and Kensington Palace at every turn. Um, we have also got at this time, which was further kind of confirmed with the KP split, we've got rumors this at this time of William and Harry and also Catherine and Meghan on personal levels are not getting along. This is when the grumblings about, you know, potentially – some infighting in the family get very, very loud. We're hearing these grumblings that William and Harry are basically not talking, um, that Catherine and Meghan do not get along. Nobody is really spending any time together, but we're still seeing them like, you know, at family events. We see them on a couple of joint engagements here and there. Nothing, nothing as much as we used to, certainly not to the extent where we used to see um, – William, Catherine, and Harry together when they were a trio, but we're still seeing them out and about a bit. On May 6th, Archie is born. He is now going to be the first biracial blood royal that the British royal family has ever known. And it's a big deal. The world goes nuts. Everything is kind of forgiven a little bit. You know, the the fact that they've split their offices is kind of swept under the rug because we've got a new baby and who doesn't love a new baby? However, what Meghan and Harry did when Archie was born, quite frankly, it pissed off the UK press. They had the Royal Rota furious and reportedly they also had members of the Royal Family furious because... They released a statement saying that Megan was headed to the hospital. And they actually released that statement after Megan, Harry, and the baby were already home at Frogmore Cottage. And the baby had been born and they had been released from the hospital. And then they announced she was going into labor. They tried to pull one over on the press because Megan did not want to do the traditional photo call outside the hospital with the baby which is understandable like we just talked about when i was 6 hours postpartum i could barely move i had had a c section and was cut in half <laughs> like i could not move there's no way they were going to dress me up and trot me out and look beautiful in front of a billion cameras it was not happening and so reportedly megan did not want to do that which is completely understandable i, don't, I yeah i don't blame her for that and frankly no one was going to look as good as catherine or diana postpartum just yes yeah like they were both ridiculously beautiful mm-hmm. six hours postpartum yeah it, and, and i mean like when you consider that when you look at the timeline of when prince george was born one of the very first people to arrive at the hospital was kate's stylist and hairdresser you know like she had a baby and one of the first people there was someone to make her look beautiful and to fix her up and that's you know, you look at the photos and you're like, wow, she looks gorgeous. She's glowing. What a beautiful family they are. But that's also really sad that one of the first things that she was expected to do was go get her hair and makeup done after she had just had a baby literally hours before. Um, So that's kind of a bummer when you think about it. And Megan had reportedly said, I'm not doing that. And so they tried to pull one over on the press by announcing that she was just heading to the hospital when she was actually already home. She, The baby had already been born. However, as almost always happens with the Sussex saga, <laughs> um, it later comes out that Meghan and Harry had attempted to sell the rights to a first interview to a U.S. Um, TV network. And that is no why way. they didn't. I didn't know that. 
Yeah. So they had said they didn't want to do the photo call. And it later turned out that what they were actually trying to do was sell the rights to it. And the palace stepped in as they do. And they were like, nope, you can't do that. You can't sell the rights to an interview (laughs) after you've had a baby. That's not, you know, again, that photo call that Catherine did and that photo call that Diana did, that is part of the umbrella of silence. That is the royal saying, okay, we'll give you a little bit. You give us a little bit. We work together because the monarchy does depend on a symbiotic relationship with the press. They need the press and they need to keep a hold of public sentiment. And the way they do that is by giving the public what they want. They want to see a picture of a prince and a princess holding their new baby. That's what we're going to give people. It's not an interview. It's not for profit by any means, or at least not for profit for the family. Um, And that's part of that agreement, the unspoken agreement, as it were. And... Megan had said, nope, I want, I want, like, I want my friend Gail King (laughs) to be the person that I talk to after I have a baby. But so what ended up happening is there was a photo call. They allowed the U.S. network cameras to be present at Windsor Castle as Megan and Harry walk down the hallway with Megan holding the baby. They take some photos They allow Harry to do a very brief, I wouldn't even call it an interview. He kind of just was outside at the stables or something and just said like a quick little like, oh yeah, I'm so excited. Everybody is doing well. Um, And there was, I believe there was a Rhoda photographer there. And then the US network was allowed to bring one camera. But the palace put the kibosh on fully selling the rights to, you know, a, an interview or or relegating the content only to the US network. They said no, that's not how it's done. We have to have the rota involved. If you don't want to do a full, you know, a full press call, that's fine, but we can't just skip the UK press. It's not happening. And that's when you see a bigger shift in the UK press towards Harry and Meghan because now they've angered the people that it's their job to write about them. And so the people who can help control the public narrative are now mad at them, (laughs) which is not great. But that was something that I think Harry and Meghan always tend to overlook what's going to happen. What are the consequences? They look at a situation from here's what we are seeing And here's what we want for ourselves. And it seems like they almost always forget that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And they never seem to think about what the reaction is going to be. And it's, this is when they start really like just messing up with the press left and right, basically. (laughs) So after Archie is born, we have got a period of about, what's that? Like, six-ish months. Six months, yeah. Where where things with the press are a little dicey. We start to see rumors popping up like, oh, the Frogmore Cottage renovation. Megan, Megan wanted a copper tub installed that was going to cost this much money. And she's having a yoga room built, which is going to cost this much money. And Megan and Harry are getting incensed by these rumors. And they are furious that nobody at Buckingham Palace will refute them. And so that's part of what caused their office to split because Meghan and Harry want to be able to correct the narrative at every turn. If there's a rumor that, you know, the copper tub, for example, the fact that their office commented on it was just ridiculous. Like it was absurd because the palace doesn't comment on things like that. Like that's such a superficial thing. And granted, there was concern because the Frogmore Cottage renovation, part of it was being paid for by the taxpayers because it's a building on the Crown Estate. But it was very public that all of the decorative elements, you know, paint colors, fixtures, personal preferences like the tub, those were being paid for privately. So that was not taxpayer-funded money. Um, But the things like the electrical, the plumbing, converting the building back from five separate apartments into one single-family home, those were things that were being paid for at the expense of the taxpayer because – and also things like, you know, asbestos removal, fixing the roof, things that were – 
critical to the building being able to remain standing, essentially. Those were being taken care of by the taxpayer because it would have had to have been done regardless, right? Like if the roof needed to be fixed, whether Megan and Harry moved in or not, the roof was going to be fixed. If the asbestos needed to be removed, whether or not they moved in, it still needed to happen in order for the building to be usable. So, but Megan and Harry start getting really irritated by the rumors. They don't like it. Um, they've they've angered the press <laughs> with, you know, trying to circumvent them when Archie was born. Um, they're They're irritated with the press because there's been some during their Oceana tour, which was incredibly successful when they were visiting uh, Australia and New Zealand, an incredibly, incredibly successful tour. Um, but they felt that, you know, they were the stars of the monarchy and they were not being given their due by Buckingham Palace. They felt that because they were so popular, because the tour had been so successful, they should kind of be allowed to do whatever they want. And again, that's not how it works. Um, so... They split offices, they hire their own team, and their team starts shooting down every rumor. Like, no, Megan did not make Kate cry. No, Megan did not install a Pilates room. No, Megan did not install this tub. But when they start doing this from a PR perspective, it kind it of just, backfires. You, oh, yeah. Totally. Because, well, and, and that's such an American thing, right? Refuting mm -hmm. rumors, saying, oh, no, that's such an American thing. And it just fuels the rumors when you do that. Like if you're, yeah. if you come out and say like, no, I, you know, I didn't get my copper tub or whatever, people are going to be like, oh, well, then it must be gold or it must be platinum right. or it must be, you know, it just fuels it instead of just, who cares what people think? Like, you know, you're, what is it? What is it? Um, what people think of you is none of your business. Like just <laughs> let it. I've never heard that. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. I feel like it was, was it? I'm going to say it wrong. I'll have to go back and fact check it. I feel like it was Mark Twain who said, what other people feel about you is honestly really none of your business. Um, I love that. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I feel like that the more that you um, refute rumors, the more rumor mongering happens. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Because right now the press gets two headlines out of it. They get their headline of Megan got a copper tub. And then they get the headline of Megan denies she has a copper tub. And it's like, okay, now they've doubled their clickbait. But the other thing that this did from a, a PR perspective that was just the absolute, it made it the worst move, is that for every rumor they didn't refute, now it's like, oh, is that one true? oh, they didn't sue these people for saying this thing. So it's got to be at least a little bit true because Meghan and Harry became very litigious as well. They started sticking their lawyers on everybody. And for every rumor they refuted, it just made every rumor that they let go look more accurate. And then, of course, that creates more stories and more rumors. And then they're starting to refute. Then they start doing like these crazy things where they're, they, they start getting very careful in the way they word things because something will be true, but partial, like some rumor will be like 80% true and 20% false. So they start trying to refute the 20%. And it's like, well, now you've left open this whole 80%. And they start being so careful about the way they say things that people start dissecting everything they say even further, which becomes a huge trend with Meghan and Harry because as they're directing their own PR campaigns and their own branding initiatives, it becomes very clear when they are behind the wording on some stuff. And it just they just opened themselves up to so much criticism that the royals just kind of deal with and that the never complain, never explain theory kind of takes care of. Because even if something's true, just let it go. It'll go away in a day or two. But when you make a comment on it, now you've extended the life cycle of that comment. And they just really well, fueled 50 more articles about it. 50 exactly. more bylines. Yeah. Yep. So. Where they could have just let that's stuff a, dwindle. They instead just give people more space to talk about it. In my opinion, for them, that was a giant branding mistake. Giant. A hundred percent. It was the, the worst thing they could have ever done was decide that they were going to try to hit back at every single rumor because just no matter what way you look at it, it just caused them more problems than it was worth. Um, 
especially when you consider <laughs> where they were at that point, which was still living in the UK, still in Frogmore Cottage, still with a staff paid by taxpayers, still getting Duchy of Cornwall money, still having taxpayer-funded security. <laughs> you know, at that point, things were still pretty good for them. And then you look at where all that devolved to and where we are now, and it's like, was any of that actually worth it? 